Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Let's give God praise, can't we, for a time of worship. Man, I love being in the presence of the Lord with you. Thankful for our worship leaders leading that way. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're in a series of sermons that we've been talking about. How do, how do I pray audacious prayers? I mean, prayers that make no sense to people who are not a part of the faith. Prayers that uh, if are only God prayers, right? Like, like only God could do this. Well, in the passage we're studying today, verse 20 is like, hey, if you, know, you call to me and like, pray to me, I'm going to give you more than you can ask or imagine. And uh, that's a lot. You know, like that is a lot. I can imagine a lot of things. We can ask for a lot of things, and God's heart is to grant those to us. Those would be audacious prayers. So how how are we people to pray that way? And today we're going to think about the preparation in our heart. You know, you've got to be prepared to really meet with the Lord. One of my greatest concerns for us on Sunday morning, Josh, is how, man, we just fly in here, bro. You know, everybody does it, right? You know, it's just like, man, a blitz in, you know. Uh, for a lot of us, like, you know, if I can just make it, you know, on time or okay at the end of the first song and then, you know, I'll stay until he wraps up the invitation and then I'll hurry out because I got to beat the track. Like, you know, we got this like, like go, go, go. But, but we never really take time to be prepared to meet with the Lord. But our God expects us to be ready to meet with him. And so we need to think about it, especially if we want to be people who pray in these big prayers. Like, like, how do I get myself prepared to really meet with the Lord? How do I get myself ready to speak with the Lord? In, in business, we spend countless hours preparing for a meeting. I mean, think about how, how many hours go into the big meeting where you're going to kind of try to close the deal to gain the sale or whatever it is. We, we know what it's like to be prepared. Now, we may not like it, Alan Iverson, if you grew up in my generation. Like, we may not like practice or preparation, but, but it's a part of life. I mean, you think about football. We all love football, especially in Knoxville in the fall, wearing orange, fired up about the Vols, like we got the thing. But there's not 100,000 people running downtown on Tuesdays. You know, there's not, there's not people going to practice. They show up for the game. And when they show up for the game, they quickly are able to determine how practice went. Because preparation always shows up. Like, you know, were they ready or were they not? Did they have a good week of practice or did they not? That you're asking questions as a fan to inspect their preparation so that they can deliver on Saturday. Like, we, we understand preparation, we just don't like it. But for us to really take hold of the kingdom of heaven, like preparation has to become part of the natural rhythms of our life. You know, the best preachers, they preach, but they love to prepare. And the guys that really handle the word well, like when you really get to know them, they don't talk about communication strategies and logic. They talk about man sitting in the study with what the Lord is revealing to them because they love to prepare in every genre and environment. It's that way. Those that love to prepare receive the most. So how, how are you preparing to truly meet with the Lord and hear from him? 
you know, spiritually speaking, this process of preparation is called discipleship. Like that, that's what we're talking about here. Like, like a disciple, someone being discipled is someone who is preparing to see Jesus. So many times we think about discipleship as just the Bible study we read to help us sin less. But discipleship ultimately is preparing us to see Jesus. Like we got to change our gaze. So many of us, we sit around all of our, our life worried about how we sin less. The way we sin less is not by focusing on our sin, but by focusing on our Savior. And if we we'll lift our eyes to our Savior and begin to prepare to meet him one day, then we'll find ourselves sinning less and walking in freedom more. And so this preparation process has to have an appropriate goal. And the goal of preparation for the disciple is to be complete in him when we meet him face to face. Because that appointment is awaiting every single one of us. There will be a day when this brief life is over that we are standing before God. And he will judge the condition of our heart, whether we're a part of his family or not, to welcome us into his heaven where he exists or to cast us to the wage of our sin, which is death, into the outer darkness that we might be separated from God for all of eternity. So this is the end. Like This is what we're preparing for. That moment where we are received into his presence to live with him for all of eternity or that moment that we would then be cast away. And if we're going to be prepared, man, we got to make certain that we're calling on the Lord and asking for him to grant us all he desires to give. So Paul in Ephesians 3, he, he writes this prayer for the church at Ephesus. And frankly, guys, this prayer for the church at Ephesus is a prayer that I pray for my kids. I just drop their names in the prayer. It's a prayer that you can just take and say, hey, I'm going to pray like this. Because it shows us his heart. It shows us his, Paul's desire for Ephesus, Ephesus to be prepared to experience the kingdom of heaven. Stand with me and let's study it together. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, the scripture says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with the power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Of all the churches that Paul would start, I believe Ephesus was his favorite. He spent a ton of time there. There was even a scene in, at the end of the book of Acts where he's like meeting with the leaders of the church and he's weeping because he can't go back to Ephesus and be with them, but God's calling him to Jerusalem. Like He loved this church. And it's his love for this church that kind of caused him to pray in this way. Ephesus was not a Christian place, but this Christian church placed in this pagan city that Paul loved dearly was making a difference and, and was gaining ground. 
And this prayer that Paul prays, like notice this with me now. This, this prayer that Paul prays is not a prayer centered on the needs of the people in Ephesus. It's a prayer centered on the person and work of Christ. Like audacious prayers are not prayers that are short-sighted in view, but are, are prayers that are focused on eternity. They're focused on Christ. They're centered on his work. They're, they're, they're based upon his gospel and their prayers to expand his kingdom. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, praying for Aunt Sally's big toe is wrong. I'm just saying that's not an audacious prayer. Like an audacious prayer is when it's like, like God, may your kingdom advance. God, would you do supernaturally? God, would you move? Like audacious prayers are centered on Christ and his work, not on our needs and our wants. And so this type of praying is the type of praying, I believe, that moves the heart and the hand of God. We're praying that his kingdom would advance, that his work would endure, that he would get glory. When we pray this way, God begins to move. So what has to be a part of our lives if we're going to pray like this? First, in verses 14 and 15, notice that Paul's teaching us to pray humbly. Pray humbly. He's talking about bowing his knees. He's giving glory to God. Like He's saying, like, like, because of all of this, well, because of what? Well, the rest of chapter three, the, the preceding verses in chapter three, he's explaining to us like what God has done in Christ. He's sharing the gospel. He's explaining the work of God. And he's like, for this reason, because of what God's done, I'm gonna get low and I'm gonna come to him. You see, at the heart of faithful Christianity is humility. That there's no way to work around this. Like it is very difficult to experience Christ. It's impossible to experience him with pride in your heart. You see, it's very difficult to humble yourself in a way to come to God in repentance and faith. But it's, it's impossible if we'll never humble ourselves to come to Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, the scripture says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I mean, the word humility here in Colossians 3, 12 literally means the lowliness of mind. And so Paul is not speaking of the physical posture, he's speaking of the heart posture. He's like, hey, you can put on a show of humility outwardly, but you can still have pride and arrogance in your heart inwardly. And what God is interested in is the lowliness of mind. It's the humility of heart. Like, the only way to come to God is humility of heart. We have to come to God and acknowledge that we're sinners. We have to come to God and recognize that we have nothing to offer him or bring to him that can save us that we are completely unable to rescue ourselves, and we throw our lives upon God's mercy and grace made known through Jesus Christ, and that's how we're saved. Like, see the picture. You're not saved because of anything that you have done, so why are you so prideful about what you've accomplished? You're saved because of what Christ has done, and so I humble myself and submit to his authority and surrender my all to him and receive his grace and his mercy. So since we're saved by humbling ourselves, it would make sense then that the proper posture of the Christian life should be one of humility. I mean, biblical humility is not only necessary to enter the kingdom, it's also necessary to be great in the kingdom. 
Like if, if you want to make a difference for Christ, it's going to be because you're humble, not because you're pride-filled. Listen to Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Scripture says, It shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and who will be first among you must be your slave. Like this is not the way the world works, but this is the way God established the kingdom to work. Why? Because humility is that foundation by which we interact with God. I mean, Jesus is our model here. Philippians 2, Paul talks about how he didn't cling to his rights as God, how he considered the interest of others above his own. I mean, what Jesus did in coming to earth was the world's greatest expression of humility. And humility is what produces godliness. Humility is what produces contentment. Humility is what produces security. Man, I'm, I'm deeply concerned because I, I see so much of societal ills come from a lack of contentment and insecurity. A, a lack of contentment, like, hey, I just got to have more, I got to have more, or insecurity, like, like I, I'm, I'm so anxious about who I am and my shortcomings that I can't hide them fast enough, and so I don't want somebody to find out about them. Listen to me now. The lack of contentment and insecurity are all rooted in pride. They're all rooted in pride. And we as the church and we in our country, I believe, have become such prideful people that the voice of God is a distant whisper and we don't know which way to go. Friends, when you feel lost and aimless, I'm just telling you, man, there is some source of pride that's keeping you from centering your life in the gospel and work of Christ. Because when you're centered in Christ, you're not lost and aimless. You have purpose and meaning. And so we today get to kind of crush our pride so that we can experience God and he can give to us these amazing things that he desires. That God has promised to give grace to the humble and oppose the proud. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. The scripture says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in his grace or with humility toward one another. For God op opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if we want to pray audacious prayers, we got to get the pride out. So the humility can flood in. That God would work in us. That we would be sensitive to God's voice. We would experience God's presence. And we would know God's grace. Because when we know God's grace, that's how we experience his blessings. Listen to Luke 14 verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Like see that picture. God exalts us by allowing, to, allowing us to experience his grace. Like it's his grace that exalts. It's his grace that sustains. It's his grace that keeps. And so if we're going to pray humbly, it means we're not going to allow pride to sneak in, but we're going to allow God to work through his grace as we humble ourselves in his sight. It's lowliness of mind. It's the heart posture of surrender. Second, if you want to pray audacious prayers, yeah, you got to you got to pray humbly, but you also got to pray to be filled. You got to pray to be filled. 
in verses 16 to 19, we, we really begin to see this take shape. Like Paul's going like, all right, so I'm praying that you'll humble yourself according to the riches of his glory. Verse 16, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being that Christ will dwell with you in your hearts through faith, which will be rooted and grounded in love. You have strength to comprehend and you'll know the love of Christ. Like this is the, the core of his prayer. Like he wants them to be filled with the spirit of Christ, filled with the spirit of God. Now, notice this with me in, in verse 16. According to the riches of his glory, he'll grant you strength. I love this part because God is not dealing with me based on my ability to deal with God. He is dealing with me based upon his riches in heaven. And so this filling does not bubble up this filling comes down. Like, like, see this picture. So many of us were working so hard to earn God's favor. We think if I can just do all this stuff, it's gonna kind of bubble up and I'm gonna experience God. Filling of the Spirit does not come from within us. It is a gift of God given to us through Jesus Christ. And so what sin does is sin, it minimizes the Spirit's effect in our life. And so as we get sin out and Jesus in, his Spirit controls us. In the Baptist church, we've become so nervous about the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why. Like, we're so afraid of its abuse that we want to neglect its power. Jesus gave to us the Holy Spirit as a helper so that we could have power and authority to advance his mission. If the Holy Spirit is the fuel to God's work in my life, I need all of it I can get. And you got to pray to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about being filled like from a Savior. Like the moment that, that you come to know Christ as Savior, you're filled with the Spirit. And that filling is an enduring spirit. You do not lose your salvation because of sin. You lose fellowship with God because of sin. And so I'm not talking about, okay, i, I got to be filled daily, meaning i got to be re-saved daily. They've got friends. It's like, man, they're getting saved all the time. I'm like, bro, like that's got to be so exhausting. You know, go ahead and do it again because you're about to sin again. You know, it's like if, 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 if my, my, I'm coming to God to be filled, it's, it's a picture of, of dependence. In the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were in the wilderness, God fed them with manna in the morning. And there wouldn't be enough for tomorrow. There was only enough for today. And he fed them that way so that every morning they would wake up and be dependent on God to deliver again. And that's the same picture of New Testament filling of the Spirit. Like, it's not a filling for salvation. It's a filling for spiritual power and authority. It's a, it's a, it's a prayer for spiritual vitality that I'm strong in the Lord and I'm advancing his purposes and I'm advancing his kingdom. Like, like that's what it means daily to be filled with the spirit. God, I want to be so filled with you today. I want less of me and more of you. And you know what I want tomorrow? Less of me and more of you. You want to want the next day? Less of me and more of you. Like that's how we're praying to be filled. So what specifically does Paul say in these verses that the filling is going to look like? Well, it's going to look like spiritual strength. You see it there in verse 16? He's like, from the riches of the glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. Can't be any more clear. Like if you're filled with the spirit of God, you will be spiritually powerful. This is not talking about when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Like this is not 
self-discipline or the power of positive thinking. This is not mental renewal or positive self-talk. This is not getting a grip or getting it together. It's not even turning over a new leaf. Like what he's speaking of here is the fundamental work of God by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit into our spirit where he grants to us transforming spiritual power. We are not reformed in our character. We are transformed in our heart by the power of the Spirit. You are brand new in Jesus. And you have a new ability to receive power. You have new ability to walk in power. And a new ability, not a man-given ability, but a God-given ability to have confidence in his power because you've tasted and seen that he is good. And so as I'm praying to be filled, the power source I need is given to me in and through Christ. He says, I will be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this power that he's going to give to me, he's going to give to my soul through his spirit. Think about Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What did he tell those disciples? He said, hey, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Everything God has called you to, he has given you power to accomplish when you're filled with his spirit. He said, man, God, God's calling me to ministry or God's calling me to missions. How am I ever going to accomplish this? He will give you spiritual power in your inner man to accomplish what he's calling you to. Your responsibility is to be so filled with the spirit, his power is let loose in you. You say, well, he's calling me to a businessman. Good thing not a pastor. No, no, no. He's calling you to be a businessman to advance the purposes of the kingdom of heaven by his power and in his strength in your business. And so every day I'm filled with the spirit of God so that I can be the powerful ambassador for Christ at my workplace that he's called me to be. Well, good thing I'm retired. Man, there's no retirement in the scripture. And if you're still breathing... He wants to fill you with his power that you can accomplish his purposes for your life day in and day out. You say, Pastor, you think he'll just give me time for a nap? Probably so. <laughs> so you gotta, be, you gotta pray to be filled with his power because it is available to you through the spirit of God to your soul. You see, this, this power in your inner man is where God works and God dwells. So you gotta pay attention to what's happening in your soul. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. The scripture says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We do not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he's like, hey, like the inner self is being renewed. So think about it. The most spiritual, powerful person in this room might be the most physically frail. Because your power is not determined by your physical attributes. Your power is determined by the Holy Spirit's control in your life. There's an Old Testament example in King Saul here. King, King Saul was like known as one who looked the part of a leader. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2 says he was more handsome than anyone in Israel. I don't know if you've ever been labeled that way, but Saul was labeled that way. 
He said he was taller than anyone else. I've never been given that attribute. I pray for it. It's never worked, but look out, man. When we get to heaven together, I'm going to be tall, you know? I've been asking the Lord for it for years. I don't know if it works like that, but I want it to work like that, so I'm going to ask for it to work like that. You know, I'm like, man, I, I want to be known handsome and tall. I'm short and overweight. I got the short end of the stick. But, but see the picture, like, like Saul had that. He had all the right labels. First, first Samuel chapter 15, Saul loses the anointing of the Lord because he was disobedient to the call of God. God told him to go and destroy the Amalekites, lose it all. Like, he told him to completely wipe out the Amalekites from the face of the earth. It's interesting what we're still dealing with in the Middle East when you think back to 1 Samuel 15. But Saul brought back the king of Amalek and all of the spoil and treasure. And God's prophet had to finish the work that God called the king to do. And God removed his hand of anointing from Saul. And he was tormented for the rest of his life because he didn't have that filling and anointing. You know the story. God goes and anoints David as king, the shepherd boy. You know the story. Why did all of that happen? Because Saul was confident in his physical attributes and abilities and neglected the filling of God in his life. See, spiritual strength is given to your soul. If you neglect your soul, you will never be spiritually strong and be able to accomplish the good work, Ephesians 2, that God has established for you. So you got to recognize now, like, the spiritual strength is found within me. The Holy Spirit should be controlling my wants and desires. The Holy Spirit should be controlling what I do and how I live. I'm growing in God as the Holy Spirit strengthens me. It's his filling. Verse 17, it's not just I'm filled with spiritual strength, but I'm filled with spiritual depth. Three words here in verse 17 and 18 go to help us understand the spiritual depth that we are filled with. It says we should dwell, we should be rooted in and grounded in. Like those three words, look at it in the passage. He's like, hey, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'll be rooted and grounded in love and you'll have strength to comprehend. Verse 18. These three verbs help us recognize Paul's calling them to spiritual depth, not some superficial, surface-level Christianity, but a deeper experience with Christ because we're walking in his power. Like, I really believe these things kind of build on top of one another. Like when you're humble and you're asking God to fill you with his power, and now you begin to have some spiritual depth to your life, you will find completion and fulfillment. Like it just builds upon one another. And so these words is like, hey, we want you to dwell in Christ. Like the word dwell literally means to settle down and feel at home. Like that's what it's like. Hey, would you be at home in Christ? One of the things I can remember from my wedding is um, my dad who did our service. He's like, hey, John Mark and Bridget, in your lifetime you will have many houses but only one home. And so he said, so build your home on the principles of Scripture. I remember that from my wedding 21 years later. And I don't know how you feel that way, but I, I've experienced that. Like we've had lots of houses, some very, very small, some not as small, some newer, some older, like lots of houses. But it didn't matter what house I was going to, it mattered who was in the house. Because I'm most relaxed and at home when I'm with Bridget and Cade and Mia 
Like that's my family, you know? Like they're the ones that know me best. They're the ones that I can relax with the most. Like that's our crew. And so here, it's just this settling when you're with your family and Paul's praying for the Ephesian church that in the midst of the chaotic culture, their heart would be at home in Christ. Most settled when they're living according to his principles. Most com com complete when they're living in his presence. You see, they had every bit of culture against them. Everything was stacked against them in Ephesus. But he said, hey, like, don't find your home in the culture. Find your home in Christ. And then he said what? Look at it in the passage. He says, hey, you're going to dwell in Christ. And you're going to be rooted in. Obviously, that's an agricultural term as he's helping us think about and understand the, the roots of the tree that go down deep and anchor the tree, give it stability, and provide nutrients for the tree. Jesus would speak like this in, in John 15 about the vine. The psalmist would write about this in Psalm 1. Listen to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, the scripture says, Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He, verse 3, is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season. It does not wither, and all that he does prospers. Like the psalmist was understanding this. He's like, this tree is going to be planted by the stream of life, and as its roots go down, its fruit comes forth. And so Paul's praying for these Ephesian believers that they'd have the strength, they'd be filled with the Spirit, they'd be at home in Christ, and they'd have deep roots. You know, deep roots make you unwavering in trials and storms. That's what deep roots do. They make you unwavering. You can't just be pushed over and knocked aside. And that's why he then said, be grounded in love. Like I'm, I'm anchored to. It, it's an architectural term. And many of you guys, engineers and architects, you think about this stuff all the time. But for us average everyday folks, let's think about it like this. Like you, you notice the difference in architecture and the way houses are built, say in Knoxville, than when you're down at the beach. When you're down at the beach, they're reinforced there are those shutters on the windows. There are different types of glass, whole different structures and strategies. Why? Because the architects are like, this is going to have to stand up against hurricane winds. In Knoxville, they're not worried about hurricane winds. But down at the coast, they are because of the storm that might come. The same picture here, Paul's praying that they would be rooted and grounded, that they would be filled, strengthened, and that they would be able to like, all right, I'm at home in Christ. Nothing it will get to me. I will be anchored and I will be grounded in him so that I can withstand all that's happening to me and around me. You say, what was happening to them and around them? Well, Ephesus was known to be a place of polytheism. There were lots of different gods and idols and religious practices. One of the most common religious practices in Ephesus would people would go and get drunk and participate in all kinds of sexual immorality. And what they believed in Ephesus was the more drunk they were and the more sexually promiscuous they would be, that they could better hear from the Lord. Now let's just stop here for a second and notice. The same tricks were played in, F in ancient Ephesus by the enemy that are being tricked today, that are being played today. Like the enemy has no new tricks. Today, he's tricking people with drunkenness and sexual immorality. 
Then he was tricking people with drunkenness and sexual immorality, promising that it could deliver what only God can deliver. And so let's just notice now, the enemy has no new tricks. And Paul's solution in Ephesus is our solution today, where he says, be filled with the Spirit of God. Hey, in in chapter five, he's like, hey, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What was the point here? Like, don't be fooled into worshiping according to culture's practices of drunkenness and promiscuity. Like, just walk with the Lord and be filled with him. Don't be promiscuous that way. Walk this way and be filled with the Spirit of God. And that filling of his Spirit is spiritual power. That filling of his Spirit is spiritual depth. And that filling of his spirit, look at it in verse 19. Like, what is this? What does he pray? He's like, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, and you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying that they be filled with strength, they be filled with depth, and they be filled with fullness. Fullness. Like, the fullness of God is the spiritual understanding that comes as you mature and grow in Christ. It's the last of his prayers. He's like, hey, I'm praying that they'll be strengthened. I'm praying that there'll be some depth and that the love of Christ, they'll know it, that it's surpassing knowledge. They'll understand and be filled with the fullness of God. Like God has given to us his fullness in Christ. And so as we learn of Christ and understand Christ and grow in our knowledge of Christ, there is nothing about God that's hidden from us than in Christ. Some folks are like, well, there's this deeper knowledge and hidden knowledge. Some folks are like, well, there's this second blessing and as you learn more, you actually get more. No, no. God gave us all of himself in Jesus. And so as I'm filled of his spirit, I get all of God because Jesus gave the spirit to have all of himself. And many of us, we think, well, is this enough? Oh man, the fullness of God is all you need. The fullness of God is what your soul is longing for. The fullness of God is who and what you were created to experience. And so when we pursue him, we're pursuing the fullness of God. All of God at all times in all areas of my life. That's what I was made for. And so when we are trying to be filled with him, we have the goal set clear that I'd be powerful that I'd have deep roots and I'd have surpassing knowledge to the fullness of God found in Christ. Like that's what it means to be filled. That I'm at peace, I'm content, I'm secure because I have power, I have depth, and I have spiritual knowledge, the fullness of Christ. So these audacious prayers we see Paul praying. Let's pray humbly. Pray to be filled. And finally today, pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. Verses 20 and 21 function as a doxology. Like I I love this thought. Like you can almost see Paul rallying to the end of his prayer. You can almost feel his emotion and energy pick up. He's like, now, now that we understand these things, now that you recognize the door in is humility, that you understand their spiritual power, spiritual depth, and spiritual fullness. Now, because of all of what I have already prayed and said, now to him who is able to do more abundantly, far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. And amen.
Like it's a beautiful ending and it's an ending of expectation. If we're going to pray these audacious prayers, we can't pray them with little to no expectation of what God might do. Like look at this passage. Like he's like, he is able to do far more abundantly. Like Paul's trying to help these Ephesian believers understand God's not withholding from them. And we need to understand today, God's not withholding from us. He's waiting for us to be ready to receive what he wants to give us by his power and his strength. He's readying us and he's preparing us that we might be filled with his spirit so that we can take what he wants to give and use it according to his purposes. Like think about it in the lives of your children. You don't give your kids a car when they're two. You give them a toy car they hold in their hand. And then when they're like six, you buy them those, those hot wheel cars. They go and wreck. We just threw ours away because it stopped working. The battery quit charging. Like, you know what I'm saying? They go in, they close the door. Mia had a pink Jeep. She ride that little pink Jeep all over the, all over the driveway. And then, you know, they, they grow out of that. And then they turn 15 and you all hold your breath because you're on the real roads and you're driving. They turn 16. And for some crazy reason, we give them a driver's license. You see the idea? Like there's this process. Same thing spiritually. Like if, if you're not walking in humility and if you're not experiencing the feeling of a spirit, why is God gonna give to you this beautiful gift that he has for you? He's wanting you to grow in him. So put your eyes on growing in him according to the power that he has given you in Jesus. Like change your gaze, man, off of your situation and onto his power. Like, stop worrying about all these things happening to you and instead call upon the power that's within you. And when you pray with expectation that God's going to move, it should not shock you when he begins to move. Like, this idea, like, notice this. Like, he's, he's like, hey, he's going he's gonna to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according, like, not to what you've done, according to the power at work within us. Oh, don't miss this. That word for power right there is that dunamis word. It, we, we would get our word dynamite. He's saying like the power that is work within you is dynamite. It, it explodes. It goes pow! That, it's at work within you. It's, it's the same word working within you that we would get the idea of, of energy and so the picture that Paul's painting these Ephesian believers is not the picture of a God storing power like some battery. Like it's not like God's got all this power and it's over here contained in a battery that if you just had, you know, the positive and the negative, you could plug it. Like that's not it. His idea is like, hey, the power at work within you is the dynamite pow that is working immediately. And so many times we relate to God's power like it's over there waiting on us when instead it's available to us through Jesus. And so our lives should not look like the slow burn of a Duracell, but should look like the explosive impact of dynamite. Some of us are like, man, I'm just, I'm just kind of plodding away with the Lord. Like, man, like you don't have to plod away with the Lord when he's given you that dynamite power, that pow, your life can matter for the glory of God. Like, you don't have to just sit around and think, well, I hope in one day you know he's given you power, like pow, power in the glory of God. Like, I'm praying that when my life is over one day, and I hope it's a long time from now, but when my life is over one day, then my life would not be like, well, 
he devoted his life to the gospel of Christ and he pastored churches. I'm praying that my life's gonna be like, pow, he made a difference in me. You see the difference? Like, like stop holding back. Like resting in power. When he's saying my power is working in you. My power, dynamite power in you. I, I don't know how you parent your kids, but, but we, we play with firecrackers at our house. I know it's dangerous. And so I'll be out mowing the yard, and all of a sudden behind me it'll go, pow! And it scares me to death every time. And I know it's Cade. Like, man, put the firecrackers up and go get the weed eater. You know, it's like, like help a brother. Don't scare me to death. And he's say, man, I just, Cade will go, I, I just like to watch you jump, Dad. What's wrong with you, you know? But we, we know the pop of a small burst of power. Look, man, when Jesus got up from that grave, all of creation went, pow! It's forever been changed. And that's what he wants to give to you. Look at your neighbor and say, pow! No, that was super Baptist. Come on, come on, pow! That's what God wants to do in you. Come on, let's give him praise. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon, or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release. 